Leaders of South Korea, Japan, and the United States met on Friday to sign a trilateral pact that will deepen military, intelligence, and economic cooperation between the three allies. However, the agreement reached at Camp David just outside Washington, D.C. also poses a political risk for President Yoon as it required him to sidestep deep historical disputes with Japan. For the U.S., the Camp David pact could also help keep China in check. With the evolving geopolitical landscape, what is the significance of the Camp David Summit. We're joined by Professor Kim Byung-ju of the Hankook University of Foreign Studies for further discussions. Good morning, Professor Kim. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a busy weekend, so let's jump right into it. Mm -hmm. uh, this was not the first time Biden, Kishida, and you met officially in a summit, but in a standalone summit is certainly a first. How, how do we understand the significance of this Camp David Summit? Right. We remember three leaders meeting quite frequently, uh, mostly, as you mentioned, on the sidelines of multilateral gatherings such as uh, NATO summit, G7 and ASEAN gathering and so on. Uh, but this standalone stand summit uh, taking place, Camp David, uh, meaningful place in a way, secluded area, uh, means a lot. Uh, in terms of history, uh, three countries getting together, actually starting off the new ways of cooperation. This this has been this has never seen before, and uh, in that sense, many reports overseas. Indeed, I think it was the New York Times that celebrated this as a kind of culmination of Biden diplomacy of Northeast Asia uh, and China policy, and so on. Uh, we remember. For example, uh, you know, I mean, this United States has come a long way. Uh, we remember, uh, let's go back about 10 years back and remember uh, Bakune, actually, uh, government, conservative government, was not entirely 100% uh, committed to the United States. It was uh, surprisingly, a lot of us will forget, but the thing is, Bakune government was more initially. Uh, into more of uh, balancing between Beijing and Washington. That's why mm. we should not uh, forget that Park Geun-hye stood alongside with Xi Jinping and Putin mm. on Tiananmen Square when they celebrated a key anniversaries of uh, you know the Chinese military and their independence. And and at that time, the United States was not really happy with Park Geun-hye's uh, balancing act. Mm. The thing is, however. Uh, you know, Obama administration then was really into what's called at that time, strategic terms called offshore balancing and pivot to Asia. So mm -hmm. Obama took a lot of efforts. Obama government took a lot of efforts to bring Bakunai's government closer to the to, to Japan and uh, worked on producing 2015 agreement between Japan and Korea mm -hmm. uh, at the end of Bakunai government. There was a turnaround. But when Moon Jae-in came in, uh, you know, it was turned upside down and uh, the very difficult period began in terms of Japan-Korea relations. And now uh, Biden has been working on fixing that and everybody recognizes that it's the Yoon government that has taken a key role, leading role in uh, turning the situation around back towards what Obama hoped to achieve uh, close to 10 years ago. Mm. And now, uh, you know, Biden is wrapping this up as, uh, you know, said, presenting a starting point of trilateral cooperation. So, uh, you know, this is like a pendulum movement back and forth, but this is a very important starting point 
for the U.S. grand vision that the uh, U.S. government wants, wants to achieve in Northeast Asia in, in its uh, with regard to particularly its relationship with China and how mm. China and the United States should be balanced in this region. So very, very important starting point for the United States and, and including, you know, for the world, Korea and Japan, all, you know, all the parties involved here. And uh, the U.S. President Joe Biden seems to also recognize that uh, they have also a different political timeline that may affect the, this framework between uh, South Korea, Japan and the United States. There is a presidential election coming up next November. And we discussed a few times on this program with you, uh, Dr. Kim, when we say the key concerns for Korea-U.S. alliance, the possibility of Donald Trump's return to the White House may top the list. So how was this addressed uh, at the Camp David site? Yeah, before Camp David, uh, the uh, the anxiety level mm. here inside Korea among the policymakers and the experts of foreign relations was getting pretty high as we see the number, uh, poll numbers indicating that uh, Trump has equal chance to uh, come back to White House mm. as compared to Biden's chance to get reelected. So uh, Trump anxiety so-called, is a serious one. And remember, Trump is the one who pushed for pulling troops, U.S. troops, out of the United States, out of Korea, mm. uh, after asking, you know, increasing the Korea's uh, coverage of the cost of U.S. troops staying here by more than five times. Mm. Uh, and uh, that that's a really transactional diplomacy here because United, uh, Korea is paying more than half of... Uh, the, the cost of the United States staying here. But if you have to pay five times more, United States is going to may, be making a lot of money. And this is like a business of staying mm-hmm. troops here in Korea. So it's like Donald Trump making, you know, out of making big money out of uh, stationing troops here, which is something we could not accept. And in return, John Donald Trump wanted to withdraw troops. So altogether, uh, we remember what his uh, diplomacy line is. And then he's saying, Donald Trump is saying that, you know, during his first term, the U.S. government, the establishment was not exactly following his orders. And if he comes back, he's determined to implement his vision in full scale and even firing all the establishment and bringing completely new people, meaning amateurs, perhaps. So the, the uncertainty, uh, you know, for uh, policy uh, the Donald Trump administration, the second term, is really great. And so to address these concerns, uh, uh, this time what we saw in Camp David was, uh, what do you call it, multi-level institutionalization hmm. of uh, cooperation. What we mean by that is uh, they decided that the summit meeting, uh, meeting between the presidents, should take at least once a year, at least. And then along with that, there will be frequent regularized schedule for uh, ministerial level meetings. The the heads of diplomacy, uh, defense, and national security uh, among those three countries. So uh, they're saying, you know, no matter what, this is going to be regularized. Uh, Whatever different government comes in, we will make sure that this happens regularly. And so this is a slightly different question than stationing, stationing troops in uh, inside Korea. So mm-hmm. even Donald Trump, President Trump, if he comes into office again, uh, it will be quite difficult to come up with a rhetoric to get rid of this kind of system of cooperation. This is not about money, and it's more about cooperation. So, so they have institutionalized this one, and that was a real big achievement against so-called the Trump anxiety, if you will.
Okay, uh, but but is the signed PACS binding? Because it seems that the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, seemed pretty adamant about saying this marks an important new era of cooperation between three countries. But he also made it really clear that this cooperation agreement is not NATO for the Pacific. Right, exactly. And uh, the binding agreement, signed and binding agreement, mm-hmm. really doesn't mean much for President Trump if he comes back, mm-hmm. because he's the one who said... We are going to leave Paris Agreement on climate That's cooperation. Right. Right. We are going to get out of WTO. Uh, so <laughs> signed document doesn't mean <laughs> that's, much. That's a fair point. <laughs> right, right. So uh, it's uh, just uh, the mechanism of meetings that mm-hmm. has been like regularly scheduled. If the president calls for cancellation of those meetings, that means he wants to cut off diplomatic tie with these key countries. So, so it's, it's nearly impossible for Donald Trump to to cancel this kind of meeting schedules, mm. right? Because mm. it doesn't cost any money on mm. uh, American uh, taxpayers <laughs> virtually. Uh, I mean, it costs some money, but not like, a, you know, arms sales and stuff like that. So that, that's why this could be actually even more binding in a funny, technical, uh, you know, detailed way. <laughs> uh, this could be more binding than signed documents, which doesn't mean much to Donald Trump uh, in usual sense. It's ironic, but I mean, the former (laughs) business leader turned president, I guess that makes sense. You have to deal with their different uh, tactics. (laughs) Uh, Some pundits say President Yoon is shouldering arguably the biggest political risk of the three leaders, considering, uh, of course, our our historical disputes with Japan. Uh, In assessing President Yoon's participation at Camp David, the opposition Democratic Party said they question whether setting up a quasi-military alliance with Japan serves Korea's national interest. How do you evaluate such a stance, Dr. Kim? Yeah, uh, the thing is, there are two different modes of understanding history and uh, approaching diplomacy here. There's a, one side, there's a China that talks continuously about what happened 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Opium war between 1840 and 60 and how they want to resurrect the country and come back to the center stage of the world. They continuously talking about what happened 200 years ago. And uh, there are people who talk about Japan, uh, about what happened 150 years ago, mm-hmm. between 1870 when there's a major restoration and the end of uh, you know uh, World War II, 1940s, about 70 years ago. Uh, this kind of uh, approach to history, that definitely we should never forget about history. Uh, we should uh, not forget uh, things that happen. But the thing is, diplomacy... And the international relations, you have to be agile and flexible. You have to look closely what's happening right now, right at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your enemy of the past should become your friend now for maximizing your interest. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Park Geun-hye standing uh, shoulder to shoulder with uh, Xi Jinping and Putin 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It might have been a good idea at that time. Mm-hmm. And for the last 10 years, so much has changed indeed. And we cannot work with the framework saying, oh, Japan, working with Japan, that doesn't make sense. That's a very rigid sense of history and, and diplomacy here. So what I'm saying is we need a duality. Uh, that is, we need a solid base to secure our uh, you know, peace and security through cooperation with key allies of at this point, right at this moment, mm-hmm. we need to solidify cooperation with the countries that we can depend on, rely on, and work with. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we should have a flexible face up front. We don't want to be hostile to China. Mm-hmm. We want to have a good smile 
and goodwill gestures towards China at the same time. This is a duality that we need and flexibility that we need in order to ensure our survival and maximize our security and seek our prosperity. Hmm. Here's another delicate issue. How is the Taiwan question dealt with at the summit this time? And what is at stake in terms of Korea's interest? Yeah, this is kind of in the same line as the just the previous question mm, that is, mm. you know, how do we see Japan and everything? Taiwan, uh, Japanese, uh, Japanese media uh, was quick to point out uh, their perception that Korea has a very different view about Taiwan than Japan. They were saying Korea doesn't care about Taiwan as much mm. and Ted, Korea cares greatly more about China than Japan. That was what Japanese uh, media, uh, media was, were saying right after this summit. Mm. Uh, that could be true if you generalize it, but that may need to be changed because Korea needs to be very mindful that Taiwan is actually, for the sake of our own security and survival, mm. Taiwan is an essential part of the picture here because if something happens in Taiwan, Chinese military moves, and then United States gets uh, distracted to defend uh, Taiwan, it's an ample chance for North Korea to try to do what they want to try. That's a great chance mm. for North Korea to venture out. Mm. So therefore, South Korea is never, ever free from Taiwan question. Taiwan question is an important part of our own survival. And therefore, mm. uh, we have to be ready uh, and we have to work closely for preparation for different scenarios, all different scenarios. If something happens in Taiwan, this is what we are going to do, you know, to maximize our security and all that kind of stuff. Do we work, or whom do we work that with? We don't work with Beijing, but we have to work with Washington. And also, whether we like it or not, we have to work with Tokyo uh, to address that question. What if, mm. what, what if something happens in Taiwan? What are we going to do? And the parties that we have to discuss this question with and work with and prepare with are... United States and, and, and Japan. So uh, mm. I hope that this awareness uh, has a greater, uh, you know, was, I hope this awareness can be shared more widely in, inside Korea. Experts all seem to agree on this, but mm. the public awareness is even more important. Uh, we cannot be indifferent to right. what happens to Taiwan. And it's a, it's a part of our issue here. And that's a key point I think we should keep in mind. Hopefully covering it first thing in the morning <laughs> makes it <laughs> raise a little bit of awareness. Um, and, and finally, Dr. Kim, this is probably one of the biggest questions at hand. For the United States, uh, the Camp David Pact also keeps its biggest competitor in wildcard, China, in check. Uh, most likely viewed by Beijing as provocation is also the same pact. Uh, what do you observe in Beijing's response to the summit so far? Observers say what we are seeing in terms of Beijing's reaction is no surprise. They have some harsh words and, you know, there are criticisms flying around and, and all these things, warnings against South Korea and so on. But I guess analysts, observers, analysts seem to agree that the reaction from China is not, it doesn't, it doesn't go beyond our expectation, mm. meaning that it's not extremely harsh. Mm. Just uh, about the level that we had expected. What, and what do we find? What kind of meaning do we find in that? Uh, I think the observers are a little bit more hopeful in this. That is, China is not really uh, going for 
full confrontation at this time. Uh, no matter what happened at Camp David, China wants to see the current moment as a moment where they're approaching, they're moving towards more of uh, dialogue and reconciliation with Washington. What we mean by that is uh, in November, which is about two months away, two, three months away, uh, in November in San Francisco, they will have APEC summit meetings taking place. And uh, this APEC gathering, uh, there is a considerable chance that Xi Jinping and Biden may get together mm-hmm. their summit. And and that's going to be really important. And, uh, and uh, this is where China wants to achieve a lot, big turnaround if possible, because what we know is something that we've been covering for the past several months, that is Ever since the end of last year, from Europe first began the movement away from so-called the decoupling with China towards more de-risking with China, mm. meaning that you know you, we're not completely uh, going to cut off with China, but we will just manage our risks. That that movement started in in Europe towards the end of last year, and then uh, United States also uh, is actively embracing that modification of China policy. Mm -hmm. So what China sees is that U.S. policy toward China is changing. And then latest announcements, like, for example, Biden's announcement about about a week or two ago about, uh, you know, managing uh, U.S. financial uh, investment into China's cutting-edge high-tech technology and stuff. Uh, China found it quite measured, not like outrageous, but kind of rather measured and self-controlled and everything. So overall movement is moving towards more of a relatively speaking reconciliation with China rather than full-scale confrontation with China. So China seems to be aware of that. Mm. And that's the signal we are getting. So uh, Korea at this moment, considering China's reaction, the way it came out, and then uh, you know what we saw at Camp David as a starting point. It's, I wouldn't say this achieved anything really substantially big and solid and everything. This Camp David meeting was a very important starting point Mm -hmm. from which the three countries will have to build things uh, uh, based upon. So uh, judging all these points together, I guess uh, this is the fine time for Korea to think about all these different issues that we just touched upon in this session today Mm -hmm. here and come up with a clear idea about what we are going to do going forward and what we may want to do differently based on new facts, new developments, and so on. Professor Kim, we want to make like a hall of quotes for you. IR requires (laughs) flexibility. Democracy is only as smart as people. Some of these really stick for me. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your insights. Appreciate it as always. We'll speak to you again next week. Next week. Thank you very much. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.